0: All right, if you uh, if you got a Bible with you, I want you to turn over to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter number 19, and then I want you to hold your place there, and then I want you to find Romans chapter 3. Psalms chapter 19, we're going to read one verse there, then we're going to read two verses in Romans chapter 3. We're going to start a new sermon series today called Hell's Best Kept Secrets. Hell's Best Kept Secrets. I'm excited about it. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to... Uh, to see what the Lord does through, uh, through this time of, of, of in the Word. Uh, we also want to, I need to remind myself because I forget so many things, but uh, we want to keep Bob Gray in our prayers. Uh, he had just recently had uh, a dialysis port put in, and uh, he has got staph, uh, staff infection. He's been in the hospital since Monday. And, uh, you know, he's still testing positive for staff. So could you just join your neighbor's hand right now? Let's just pray for Bob. I know that, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's made so many uh, strides forward in his health. And I know he's tired of being sick. He, he had about 27 uh, liters of fluid removed from uh, uh, his, his body back once this port got in there. And so he was feeling good, doing well. But the issue with these ports are... It's very easy to contract a virus, and we want to pray for him and Barbara Let's pray together. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you hear us because, Lord... Jesus makes intercession for us He stands as our, our mediator And so Lord right now We want to stand in the gap for Bob Gray And we just we just curse this staph Infection in the name of Jesus And we command it to come out of his body Lord your word says that By your stripes we're healed And Lord we just appropriate that promise Because you've made a covenant with your own son In your own body That, that says that you bore our sicknesses And diseases and so Lord I pray right now That you would just manifest the fulfillment of that promise in his body. Lord, your word says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would quicken our mortal bodies. I pray, Lord, that you would quicken his body, that you would bring healing into his body. I just come against discouragement and depression and, and, and all the emotions, Lord, of, of just dealing with prolonged sickness. I pray that you encourage Barb, that you encourage Bob, and that, Lord, that you let them know you're with them right now. I pray, God, for breakthrough to happen. I pray that breakthrough would happen today, that they'd see a change in his physical condition because, Lord, this church family is praying on their behalf. So, Lord, let them be encouraged, let them be ministered to, and let let Bob be healed in the name of Jesus. And everybody that's in agreement, say, Amen. Psalms chapter number 19, we're going to read one verse, verse number 7. If you're there, say, Amen. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Now, turn over to Romans chapter number 3. We're going to read verses 19 and 20. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Verse 19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth might be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Father, I ask you right now for a fresh anointing to come upon me to speak your word with clarity, with truth, with boldness, and with effectiveness. I ask, God, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, we need to be touched by you, not in an emotional stirring, but deep down in the core of our being. And I pray, God, that you would uh, give us listening ears and hearing ears and eyes that see and hearts that understand and wills that obey. Help us, Father, to receive Uh, Revelation in our heart concerning what you're speaking to us. And maybe we'll be transformed by that in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hell's best kept secrets. When I look across the, the landscape of the church in America, and I consider the spiritual condition that the church is in, it gives me great concern. I'm really concerned about the the spiritual state of the church in our nation. The Pew Research Group recently released a study that said 70% of Americans consider themselves to be Christian. Now, that's a lot of people. That's 70% of over 330 million people. Now, if those statistics were true then our nation would not be in the condition that it's in right now. There's no way that we would legalize uh, the, 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 the slaughter of innocent unborn children if the majority of the people in our nation were genuinely born-again evangelical Christians. Christians that uh, actively share their faith. Christians that take the Word of God seriously. Christians that are, are not just lip service folks, people that, that hear the Word and they do the Word and they, they put it into practice. They stand for truth. But 70% of Americans uh, claim to be Christian. Now, this same group, uh, less than 33% actually believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Only 3% of this group believe in absolute truth. So 97%... Of this 70% that make up the entire population of our nation, less than 3% of 3% believe in absolute truth, meaning that truth is relative. Truth can mean something to you, and it can mean something completely different to somebody else. In other words, to each their own. It can be whatever you want it to be. Truth is, is made up, and, and, and truth is not the same for everybody. Uh, Of this same group as well, that 66% do do not believe in absolute truth. Over 50% believe that good works are enough for a person to go to heaven. So we're pretty messed up in the church. We're pretty messed up in Christianity. Our nation is is pretty messed up. And and I believe that there's some major, major consequences that are happening to uh, our lives, our communities our cities, our our states, and our nation because we don't have clarity. We're following anything and everything that our hearts desire. Now, you would think if people were genuinely born again, if they take their faith in God seriously, that they would know what they believe, why they believe it, and how to live it, right? You would think that if they were genuine, if they were real, if if, if they were what they say they were, that they would take their faith seriously, that they know what they believe, they know why they believe it, and they know how to live it. Because if heaven and hell are real places, and if people literally go there forever throughout eternity, then what you believe and how you live... Matters. It's extremely important because the truth is this you only believe what you live. Everything else is just religious talk. Let me say that again. You only believe, you can say all you want about what you believe. It is irrelevant, it it is just words, it's just lip service. But you only believe what you live. Everything else is just religious talk. Now, there's a certain denomination that I'm not going to mention that stated that it had recorded 294,000 decisions for Christ in one year. 294,000. Now, of that 294,000 that made decisions for Christ, only 14,000 of those people were accounted for in a local fellowship. And, and when, as bad as that sounds, as, as bad as that uh, uh, strikes us, you know, what I read that was more terrifying than anything else that I read was that America, in the American church, the American church has an 80 to 90 percent follow away rate. 80 to 90 percent follow away rate. In other words, what's happening is our churches are filled with lukewarm, half-saved, almost Christian, backsliding people that claim that they are Christians. So, what's the problem? And why is this thing happening? Now, I want to give you four of what I believe are hell's best-kept secrets that I think are good indicators of why these things are happening in the church abroad and why it's happening Uh, in in our nation, and even in our our local congregations. So if you got your outline, I want you to pull it out for just a moment. I want to give you four things quickly, or as quick as I can, that I believe we need to consider that I think the devil really wants to keep secret. Don't discuss it. Don't think about it. It's irrelevant. It really doesn't matter. You just come, you pray a prayer, you sign a membership book, you get baptized, you go in the water, a dry center, you come back up, a wet center. No need to be uh, serious about your faith. All that matters is that you go to church on Sunday morning. So I'm going to give you four secrets, four of what I believe are hell's best-kept secrets. And the first thing that I believe hell wants to keep secret is the importance of the motive of our hearts. The importance of the motive of our heart. Now, it's very easy to hide behind the excuse of saying, well, you don't know what my heart is. You're just very judgmental. You're just, you're just critical. You, you don't know what's in my heart. But here's what I do know. That what is in your heart comes out of your mouth, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, right? Right? What is in your heart becomes manifest in your life. There's a lot of people that say, listen, I'm just following my heart. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Don't ever follow your heart. Follow Jesus. It's more important because the Bible says the the heart is deceitfully wicked. And who can even know how wicked it is and, and, and what's in there? And so it's important for us to consider, what is our motivation? What was your motivation to be here? What was your motivation when you gave your life to Jesus? What was really the intent of your heart when you made a commitment to salvation? Heart motives are important, and it's important for us to evaluate what motivates us in everything that we do. It's very easy to stand up here and preach. And my heart motivation is to get a response out of you. To get an amen. To get people to come forward during the altar call. Or to preach a good message. Or to impress you with, with big words and fancy prayers. Or to just you know, be eloquent. And that's not what I am at all. But it would be very easy for me to aspire to be that way. you know, Because it's easy to get behind a pulpit. Everybody look at you and you want to present your best side. You want to impress people and it's you have to check, you have to test the motives of your heart, but heart motives are critically important. But this is what the Bible says will happen about the motives of our heart. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 verse 16 that the day is coming when God will judge the secrets of men's heart. The day is coming when everything that has been done in secret shall be brought into the light and brought into judgment. Every secret thing, even the motives of our heart, the Bible says, are going to be judged. In other words, God is able to see through our religious facade and see what is really and truly in our heart. I'm going to make a statement here that we need to consider. I believe it is a secret that the devil doesn't want us to talk about, that the devil doesn't want us to consider, that he doesn't want you to even think about and evaluate your own walk with God about, and that is, it is possible to follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. It's possible to follow Jesus with the wrong motive. To follow Jesus with the wrong motivations. And the Bible is, is, is clear, it's full of examples of people who were following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. For example, in John chapter 6, there was a group of people that were following Jesus because He provided food for them or, or material things that they thought were matter. Now listen, is food important? Yes. But food is not a good enough reason or the right motive to come to Jesus and follow Jesus. Now listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. What was Jesus saying? I know your heart motives for why you're following me. And they're wrong. Because the same thing, he goes on in that same story. He says, listen, he who does not eat my flesh and drink my blood has no part of me. And you know what the scripture said? Many of his disciples walked away away from him and followed him no more. He, He knew the reason of why they were following him. He understood what was in their heart, what their motivation was. And he says, listen, your motivation's wrong. Don't follow me. Listen, it's possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. As a matter of fact, that's probably one of the greatest temptations that we all could fall victim to, and that is doing the right thing with the wrong heart. Listen, doing the right thing with the wrong heart still causes you to go in the wrong direction. You can still spend eternity in hell because you did the right thing with the wrong heart. God doesn't Want you to just outwardly appear to be doing what is right. The Bible says he delights in truth in the inward parts. He doesn't just want you to have the right action, he wants you to have the right attitude. He doesn't just want you to to be able to conform and discipline yourself to do what the Bible says to do, he wants you to want to do that. So he looks for, he searches for truth in the inward part. There was another group of people in John chapter 2. These people were following Jesus because they liked to see signs and wonders. These people, they weren't necessarily after Jesus because he was the Messiah. They were following Jesus because his ministry produced signs and wonders, and they were impressed by that. There was another guy in in Acts chapter 8. His name was Simon. He was impressed by the ministry of the apostles. And he was impressed because when the apostles would lay hands on people, they would receive the Holy Ghost. And he says these words to the apostles. He says, I want to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost so that I might be able to lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Ghost. In other words, listen, his motivation was was wrong. His motivation obviously was, was corrupt. So you see that. That there's nothing wrong with feeding people. And there's nothing wrong with signs and wonders because signs and wonders still happen. Jesus did both of those. But neither of those reasons are a good enough reason for you to follow Jesus. Are you with me? What's your motivation for following Jesus? Jesus fed people, and that's a good thing. Jesus performed signs and wonders. He still performs signs and wonders. Jesus did both of those things. But these examples show us that it's possible to have the wrong motive for following Jesus. Now, what I believe contributes to the 80 to 90% fall away rate in the church is really what's being preached behind the pulpit. If it's, if it's fuzzy from the pulpit, it'll be foggy in the pews. There needs to be a clear word, a direct word, a straightforward word, a a simple word that people can understand and apply in their life. But I believe that the greatest contributor to this is the message that we hear. Because most of the messages that we hear that are being preached across the pulpits in America are really a gospel of life enhancement. It's more of like a self-help thing. In other words, they preach this gospel that says, Come to Jesus, and you'll have love and joy and peace and happiness and blessing. While technically that may be true, love, joy, peace, happiness, and blessing are not a good enough reason for you to give your life to Jesus. You're thinking, whoa. Is that, is that true? Is, that, is what you're saying true? I, let, let me explain it. The message that we preach is critically important. Even though those things might be true to a certain extent, it can never be the motive of why we come to Jesus. Why? Listen to me. Because the motive of our message determines the motive of the heart of the person who responds to our message. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? The motive in which I preach something to you will determine the motive in which you respond to the message that I preach to you. And the reason love, joy, peace, happiness, favor, blessing is not enough, good enough reason for you to give your life to Jesus and to follow Jesus is because life is not always going to be that way. As long as your life is good, as long as you're happy, as long as you don't have problems, as long as you don't have to suffer any, as long as you don't have to go through difficult times, that gospel will work, and they will come by the droves. But as soon as things begin to fall apart, as soon as you find yourself in a difficult place, as soon as things do not live up to what you have heard being preached behind the pulpit, soon and very soon you will find yourself drifting and drifting and drifting and being disillusioned because you thought following Jesus your life was supposed to get better. Oftentimes when you give your life to Jesus and you're serious and you're taking your faith serious, you're taking your walk with Jesus seriously, oftentimes things get worse before they get better. But our motivation can never be so that we can come and experience, although these are legitimate fruits of salvation, they're not good motivation. They're not the right motivation. Because our message, and the reason the message is important, listen to me, the reason that message is wrong, and what I mean by that is wrong for the motivation of somebody coming and giving their life to Jesus It's because the gospel is not about happiness. The gospel is about righteousness. The gospel is not about happiness. The gospel is about righteousness. Now, how do I know that? Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, he said that the Holy Spirit would come and he would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. It says here in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Truly the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day that He will judge the world in what? Righteousness. The gospel is not about happiness. The gospel is about righteousness. And even though love and joy and peace are legitimate fruits of salvation... It can never be the motive for coming to Christ. Now listen to this. J.C. Ryle said, Men will never come to Jesus, stay with Jesus, and live for Jesus unless they really know why they're coming. So you need to ask yourself, Why am I coming to Jesus? Why am I following Jesus? Why did I come here today? Those are things that, that you need to evaluate every day. Those are things you need to evaluate every week. You should always be asking God to search your heart. He knows what's in there anyways. You need to know why, uh, and why the things are, are in there and why you're doing what you're doing. So, number one, we need to ask ourselves and we need to evaluate our motives. I'm convinced that there are a lot of people that have come to Jesus, come to an altar, prayed a sinner's prayer... And they've come for the wrong reason. Getting up and leaving, giving a false assurance that things are right between them and God. And the truth is, they really don't know why they came to God. Do you know why you came? It's not enough to come to Jesus and ask him to save you. You have to know what He's saving you from. Jesus did not come and die on the cross to save you to God. He came and died on the cross to save you from God. Now, God loves us. But God is good. God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. God loves us, but He also loves more than just us. He loves justice. And when you evaluate your life and you consider your sin, all the things that you've done and what the Bible says are the consequences of those sins, then if God is good and God is just and God loves you and God loves me and God loves the whole world, then He has to do what's right. He has to judge sin wherever sin is found. So if we come to Jesus not for the forgiveness of sins, but understanding what sins we've committed and who we've committed those sins against, we're very easily deceived into a feeling or an emotion or we've been talked into something that had no power to change our lives. Here's a perfect example of this, why this was important. My sister Brenda passed away about six or seven years ago. And... um, on Christmas she was perfectly fine. But on New Year's Eve she got really sick. She got admitted into the hospital and 45 days later on Valentine's Day we we buried her. She got diagnosed with cancer and it was pretty bad. But what was even worse than that is that she had a blood clot caught between her heart and her lung and the doctors were more concerned that that blood clot would loosen up and go directly into her heart and she would die instantly. Well, I knew that she was not saved. And so I, I knew that I needed to go talk to her about it. So I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, I pray that you give me the right words. You tell me what to say. Help me just follow you. If she dies in this condition, I know where she's going. God, I know it's your will to save her. And just, just, just help me to speak in, in a clear way so she'll understand. So I go to her, and I said, Brenda, I, said, I need to talk to you. I said, it's not because I think you're going to die because you've got cancer and I think you're going to die. You've got a disease that's far worse than cancer called sin, and it kills 10 out of 10 people. I said, has anybody ever told you what Jesus has done for you so that you could have your sins forgiven? And she said, no. So I sat down, and I started in the book of Genesis. And I tried with everything in me to communicate to her what happened in the garden, what sin was, what the consequences of sin was, what the fate of a person is that dies, that does not have their sins forgiven. And after I shared all that stuff to her, this is what I said to her. I said, Brenda, I want you to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to pray with you in a minute. But I don't want you to give your life to Jesus just for my sake, just because that's what I want you to do. I want you to give your life to Jesus because you see your own need for Jesus. I said, but until somebody understands that they're about to drown, they'll never cry out for somebody to come and rescue them. And I said, Brenda, you're drowning. I just hope that you know that. And now, why did I say those things to her? Because motive matters. I didn't want to pray a, a simple sinner's prayer that gave her some kind of false assurance that eased her conscience While her heart had not been changed, when there was no genuine repentance or regret or remorse over her prayers, I did not want to do that because heart motives matter. So I said to her, I said, Brenda, I want you to give your life to Jesus, but I don't want you to do it for my sake. I want you to see your own need for Jesus. Do you want to give your life to Jesus or do you want to think about it? You know what she says to me? I want to think about it. My heart dropped. I got sick. I mean, I was trying to hold it together on the outside, but I, I was saying to myself, I blew it. Now, get, keep in mind, about 30 days from that point, we're going to bury her. Time is ticking down. Every day that goes by is one day that she's quicker to death. Same's true for you and I. You know, every day that we live is one day closer to our appointed time of death. And so she said she wanted to think about it. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I go to, to, to Guatemala on a missions trips. And while I'm there, she takes a turn for the worse. And Rachel contacts me and she says, Donald, your family wants you to come home because Brenda's took a turn for a worse and they don't know what to do. They, they need help. And so I was sitting here and I was, I was, I was upset at them because I'm sitting here thinking, why is there not somebody else in my family that is, that is right with God that they could talk to her and lead her to the Lord? Why didn't they listen to me when I went to go to them and share the gospel with them in the first place? And then I kind of got upset with God. I was sitting there, I was going, God, what am I doing here in Guatemala? We were doing a pastors and leaders conference. Everybody in that conference was saved, husbands and wives. And I said, Lord, if all of these pastors and their wives die today, they're going to heaven. But if my sister dies, she's going to hell. And so I'm sitting here thinking, I'm I'm packing my stuff. Rachel says to me, just stay home or just stay there. Uh, let's see how tonight goes. I'll let you know something in the morning. Well, Henry Wim, for those of you that know Henry, Henry is our church planning coordinator in, in Uganda. He was living with us at the time. And uh, that evening, he goes up there, and he, he, he talks with Brenda, and, and he shares the gospel w- with her. And so the next day, Rachel calls me, and she said, Have you heard yet? I said, I haven't heard anything. I'm thinking the worst. She says, Well, uh, Henry went up to the hospital last night in ICU, and uh, Brenda gave her life to Jesus In, in, in her ICU room uh, Last night and, and immediately I was overwhelmed And my mind went back to something God told me Years ago He said, Donald what you make happen for others I make happen for you And even if I have to bring an African 10,000 miles away from his home To keep my promise to you That's just how faithful I am But the thing that struck me was this I understood that what happened to Brenda was legitimate. I did not worry of whether she actually got saved or not. Because I'm convinced if she was going to get saved for the wrong reason, she would have done it when I was wanting to pray with her. But she wasn't going to give her life to Jesus just because that was something that I wanted her to do. She didn't want to do that because she wanted to maybe search her own heart. But I can promise you this much. If she wasn't going to do that for me, she wasn't going to do that for Henry. Now, she's a real quiet, reserved person. She never spoke a whole lot. Henry's the exact opposite. When Africans preach the gospel to you, they preach it like this. I mean, listen, in ICU, okay? I bet she's going, But my point in saying all of that is this. Heart motives are important. So important that they're heaven and hell issues. And that's a secret that I believe hell wants to keep a secret and you not consider. I think he's perfectly happy with unconverted, non-saved or half-saved people coming to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or however often, on their way to hell feeling good about where they stand with God, not even knowing they're going to stand before God guilty. So heart motives are important. Here's the second thing. The second thing I believe hell wants to keep a secret is the purpose of God's law. Now, you're going to have to hang with me here because I'm going to use some terminology that, that maybe you're not necessarily uh, familiar with. But, but there's a purpose for God's law that we need to consider it. Now, God's law um, are His commandments, Okay. A lot of people try to stay out of the Old Testament. They don't want to read the Old Testament. They think it's confusing. You know, they think it makes God look bad. Or, you know, in the Old Testament, God's the angry God. In the New Testament, He's the loving God. The truth is, He's the same God in the Old and the New Testament. He's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But there is a purpose for God's law. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you four functions. This is in your outline. Four functions of of God's law. Now, the reason why I believe that there's so many false converts, people that fall away, that are backslidden, is because they've never really and truly ever been born again. I believe we have a lot of people that have a false assurance that things are right between them, them and God, and in reality, they're, they're not right between them and God. Now, I want to read the verse here. This is in the Amplified. We read this earlier. But in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 in the Amplified, it says this. Listen, notice the function of the law. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that the excuses of every mouth may be silenced from protesting. And that all the world might be held accountable to God and subject to His judgment. None of that sounds like good news, right? Truth is, it's not good news. But it is good news if it ultimately leads you to Jesus. For no person will be justified, freed from, freed of guilt, and declared righteous in his sights by trying to do the works of the law. In other words, you can't live good enough to work this out. I'll explain that to you in just a moment. Even though 50% of, of Christians in America believe that good works are enough for a person to go to heaven, right? This scripture says what? That's not right. No person will be justified, freed from guilt, and declared righteous in his sight by trying to do the works of the law. For through the law, we become conscious of sin, and the recognition of sin directs us toward repentance, but provides no remedy for sin. Isn't that, isn't that horrible? That's terrible. <laughs> in other words, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. And I'm going to accuse you. I'm going to point out every single that is sinful in your life and even though you're going to try to live your best and do your best and try to obtain salvation through good works it's never going to be good enough and I'm going to tell you that you need to repent but I'm not going to tell you how to be saved that's really what the law does Let me think about that. The law can only take us as far as Calvary. Are you with me? It can't take us through Calvary. Only Jesus can take us through Calvary. And the law only drives us to the cross. It cannot take us through the cross. Are you with me? Let me give you four things really quickly about what the law does. The first thing is this. The first function of the law is the law brings the knowledge of sin. That's important. It's extremely important. Because, again, a man will not come to Jesus, stay with Jesus, and live for Jesus if he does not know why he's coming to Jesus. Why are we coming? We could be coming for love, joy, peace, happiness, and blessing, But that's not a good enough reason to come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus for those things does not lead us to the place of salvation. I'll explain that in just a moment. Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul writes, I would have not known what sin was if it were not for the law. Romans 3.20 says, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. 1 John 3, 4 says, Whoever commits sin breaks God's law, and sin is the breaking of God's law. So what is sin? Breaking God's law. He says, I would have not known what sin was if the law didn't tell me. Because he goes on to say in that verse of Scripture, he said, I would have not known that covetousness was, was a sin if he had not said covetousness is a sin. I would have not known lying was a sin if it had not said do not lie. I would have not known that that, that, that fornication or, or lust was a sin if the law had not said, do not commit adultery. The law tells us what sin is. Now, James takes it up a whole new level. He says here in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, He who keeps all of the law and yet breaks the law at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. None of that is good news, is it? None of that. In other words, what's God's standard of righteousness? Moral purity in thought, word, and deed. You can't even break one of them. You have to be perfect in order to fulfill the law that was given to Moses and to Israel. And so it says here, by the law is the knowledge of sin. We, here's something I think happens. When we misunderstand what sin is, we think sin is something that we've done instead of who we are in our own nature. What happens is, and it goes to the next point here, when we don't understand what sin is, we think it's something that we've done instead of who we are. We sin because we are sinners, right? Can we say that word in 2018? We sin because we are sinners. If I tell one lie, what am I? Huh? Talk to me. If I tell one, what if a stranger comes up and tells you one lie? What'd you call them? A stinking liar. One lie. Right? Makes you a liar. So lying is not something I've done. Lying is something I am. I'm a liar. I lie because I'm a... If I steal one dollar, what am I? If I steal a million dollars, what am I? It doesn't matter. The amount of money you steal doesn't determine whether you are a good thief or a bad thief. Just means that you're a thief. And you know what the Bible says about liars and thieves? They shall not enter into the kingdom of God. I told one lie, I'm going to hell. Is that true? Yep. Man, that sounds that sounds rough. It is rough. It's supposed to be rough. But the law tells, and that's a good thing. We need to know what sin is because if we don't know what sin is, we cannot come to Jesus with the right motive. You still with me? Here's the next thing. The next thing is this. The second function of the law is to stop personal justification. Now, this is what everybody loves to do. Everybody loves to justify what they do that is sinful and wrong. Because there's always somebody else down the road that's just a little bit worse sinner than they are, right? Well, if them hypocrites make it in, I ain't got no problem. Well, they ain't getting in, and you ain't either. I said the same thing. Because before I got saved, I knew deacon, deacons that I played golf with that drank, smoked, cussed, acted horrible, that was, you know, taking up the offering and all that kind of stuff at, at church on Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, look, if they're making it, I ain't got no problem. You' ain't no different than I am. That's true. We're both going to hell. But I wanted to say that to justify myself to continue doing what I'm doing. Now listen, the purpose of the law is for you to stop trying to justify what you're doing wrong. You can tell that genuine repentance is not going to happen for a person when they try to justify what they're doing. As if they're going to stand before a man. Or they're going to stand before me. Or their mom or their dad. We're not going to stand before any man. We're going to stand before the man. The son of man who is the son of God. And he's going to judge us. So it stops justification. Listen, when we fail to understand what sin is and what the punishment is, as a result of breaking God's law, we tempt to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to others. So what happens is this, most people think that because they don't sin as much or they don't sin as bad as somebody else, that they're going to be okay when they stand before God. The purpose of the law is to say, that's not true. So it doesn't matter because you know what, the majority of people, I've met a lot of people in church that believe a little white lie is okay. I wonder how many of you think that lying just a little bit is all right. Well, I just need locks. If I told them the truth, it would hurt their feelings. Boy, it's quiet up in here this morning, isn't it? You think it's okay to lie? Would you tell your child it's okay to lie? Well, what if somebody has an ugly baby and they say, don't you think my baby's beautiful? That didn't tempt me. That's... Yeah, they're special. (laughs) They're special. Got to be sharp. Got to be sharp. I had to make a little bit of a joke. You guys look like you were like... (coughs) So the purpose of the law is to stop justification. Here's the third thing. Third function of the law is to reveal our guilt. Listen, knowledge of the fact that we've broken God's law... And that the result of breaking God's law is that we must be punished. And the punishment for breaking God's law is, guess what? Death. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It's appointed at once for a man to, and then comes what? Well, I mean, you can't just quote that to be quoting it. Well, well, why is it appointed for me to die? Because one man sinned, therefore all of us became sinners, right? Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 6 says wages of sin is what? Death. The payment for sin is death. Have you ever noticed 10 out of 10 people die? You like that, don't you, Justin? And Logan. Logan. Ezekiel 18 says, the soul that sins, it shall die. Well, how come everybody, if, if, if some of y'all are holy and good, why is everybody going to die? What's the answer? Sin. Right? So the law is telling us what sin is. Now, here's the thing. When the law is presented to us like it's being presented to you, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not have any other gods before. When it's presented to you, and then now you're having to evaluate your own life, and you're thinking, I broke that one, I broke that one, I have broken that one. But even if you only broke one, you done broke one too many, you're going to die. Then we understand God's judgment makes sense when the law tells us the soul that sins, it will die. The, rage, the wages of sin is death. So it makes sense when you talk about judgment to somebody or it makes sense Judgment reasonable. Here's what the Bible said about the Apostle Paul when he's speaking to Felix in Acts chapter 24, verse 25. The Bible says the Apostle Paul reasoned with Felix about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And the Bible says Felix trembled. Made sense to him. Now, he didn't want to do any business with God because the Bible says that he said, get on out of here, I'll, I'll call for you a little bit later. Now, if you're trembling right now, that's a good thing. That's The law's doing the work. The law is doing what it's supposed to do. I know sometimes the law is difficult. And the law is, is maybe, maybe hard to understand because there's a lot of them that's in there. But if you just focus on the big ten right now and evaluate whether you have broke those big ten or not, I can promise you that's as far as you really need to go. Because you know what? If you broke one of them, you've got nine others that are aimed right at you. Ready to accuse and to condemn and ultimately to kill. Because that's what the law does. The law doesn't help us. It just leaves us helpless. But being helpless is not a bad thing if it leads us to the one who can help us. But if you're justifying what you're doing, if you're running your mouth and you're trying to prove that you're better sinner than somebody else, if you're trying to give excuses of why you did this and why you did that, you know what? You're still helpless. You don't understand the function of the law. The law's aimed at you. It's going to happen. Because... The wages of sin is death. Now listen, we don't preach God's law to try and motivate you to keep it. Because you can't keep it. And the law doesn't help us, it leaves us helpless. And listen, it shows us our guilt and why we deserve to be punished. But the good thing is this. If we come to the point to where we recognize we're at a place that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves... Our heart's motive is being purified and we're getting very, very close to being able to respond to Jesus with the right heart motive. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Still with me? I'm about to finish. Those two right there were the biggest ones. Now, here's the the next one. D, the fourth function is to lead us to Christ and convert the soul. Galatians 3:24 says, "Therefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ." What, what was the function of the law? Bring us to Jesus. What does the law do? It accuses. It condemns. It searches your heart. It shows you that you're guilty. It tells you all of the bad things not that you've done but that you are. That we're liars, we're thieves, we're adulterers, we're blasphemers. And then we're standing before God. And by our own admission, we are liars, thieves, adulterers and blasphemers and 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 you're standing before God on the day of judgment, do you think you're going to heaven or hell? Well, I'm going to heaven. Why? Because God is love. He's good. That's right. He is love, and He is good, but He's also just. If somebody murdered your family member 30 years ago and was never brought to justice, but in 2018, the police find out where they are, Go and arrest him, and he stands before the judge, and the judge says, well, you know what? You've not killed anybody for 30 years. I'm going to let you go. Would you call him a good judge? Talk to me. Well, he's a but the, he's changed man now. He ain't not killed anybody in 30 years. No. Here's the thing. There's a lot of people that are going to stand before God on the day of judgment, and the very thing they think, God's going to use to save them is ultimately going to condemn them. Because you have to be brought to justice and the the truth is this. Either you'll pay for the penalty of your sins or you'll let Jesus pay for them. Either you'll stand in your own self-righteousness or you'll stand in God's God's righteousness. And if you don't stand in God's righteousness, you'll be self-righteous. And your righteousness is filthy rags. It can't get the job done. Isn't that, I mean... We we rarely ever think about these things. You know, we weep over Jesus being crucified and dying on the cross, but we never shed a tear over our sin that put him there. You see, that's a total different perspective. Every one of us contributed to nailing Jesus on the cross. Why? Because he died for the sins of the world, which includes yours and mine. So we have to fully be able to grasp this. Here's the next thing that come to music. The third secret is man's conscience. Look what it says here in Romans 2.15. It says, The law was written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. Now, why is that important? God's so good that He already put the commandments in our hearts. And it says... Because these commandments are there, we already know what is morally right and wrong. That doesn't mean that we're going to do what's morally right and wrong. It just means we know what that is. You with me? Let me ask you a question. Is rape wrong or is it right? Well, why is it wrong? What determines whether it's right or wrong? Some places it's not wrong. Or at least the law says it's not wrong. Is murder right or wrong? But we kill innocent babies, we don't call that murder, do we? There, there is a moral compass that every one of us had, and according to Scripture, that those commandments are written in our heart. And every time we violate one of those commandments, our conscience tells us, that's wrong. You know why? Because the word conscience means with Knowledge. The word con means with, the word science means knowledge. So every time that we lie, every time that we steal, every time that we lust, every time that we blaspheme, every time we do something wrong, we know in our conscience that what we did was wrong. But we may justify it and say it's okay. Do do you see why now it's so easy have the wrong motivation when we come to Jesus? Because listen, it's not enough to come to Jesus for Him to save you. You have to know what He's saving you from. If you don't know what Jesus is saving you from, you can't be saved. You just as soon as save yourself. Why? Because there's no acknowledgement of sin. There's no genuine repentance. And that's the last thing here. The last thing's this. The last secret is true repentance. True repentance. The Bible says that there's two types of repentance. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And I gave you the scripture up here. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. What kind of sorrow does? Godly sorrow. But it says, Worldly sorrow produces death. Now, When we don't fully understand what sin is and that sin is primarily vertical or in other words when we sin we sin against someone and that someone is God. If we don't understand our sin is vertical we will not have godly sorrow and genuine repentance. If we think our 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 sin is really what we've done, then all we really need to do is go tell people that we're sorry. Or tell God I'm sorry. Right? Sorry. But we're not really sorry that we did it. We're sorry that we got caught. You understand the difference? Huge difference. And so much of what we call repentance is that you're just sorry that you got caught, but you're not sorry because of who you've sinned against. When David sinned, David said, Against you and you only have I sinned. When, when the prodigal son came back, he said, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. When Paul preached, he preached repentance toward God. you got to know where you're repenting and who you're repenting to and what you're repenting of and why you're repenting. It's a totally different, it's not just saying I'm sorry, but it could be very simple and easy as saying, "I'm sorry," when you know what you're sorry for, but you have to know the motive of your heart, and that's the big deal. When a man doesn't understand that his sin is primarily vertical against God, he will exercise superficial, experimental, and horizontal repentance, which does not lead to salvation. four marks of true repentance when you're really truly repenting the first thing that you do is you acknowledge what you did wrong not just in general what what you've done wrong specifically second thing is you're willing to confess it to the one that you did wrong The third thing is, you're willing to turn away from what you did wrong. And the fourth thing is, you're willing to change. Because there's a difference between coming to God and repenting saying, God, if you'll just get me out of this mess right here, I'll serve you. If you just won't let me go to jail. If you just don't let her divorce me. If you, if you just if you just work this out if I don't have to do this or, or, or do, I'll serve you it's not real repentance there's a difference between saying God picks me up and then saying God make me right the prodigal son he left saying give me give me give me he came back saying make me make me make me two totally different things heart postures in that boy he knew what he did, he knew what he did and who he did it against and he knew there was nothing he could do to make it right he said I'm not even worthy to be called your son but because there was genuine repentance, how did the father receive him? open arms hugged him loved him Put put, put the coat around him Killed the fatty calf, had a celebration. Why? Because he found because the Bible says when he came to his senses. That's a big, huge issue right there. Coming to your senses. And you can't come to your senses until you understand what sin is. Who you've sinned against. What you need saved from. And the one that can save you. Stand with me. I know this is not a big preachy shouty message. I believe this is some of the hell's best kept secrets now I'm going to be extremely bold I want you to look at me we're going to wrap it up we'll pray for whoever needs prayer this is the most important time of the day so I'm going to say something extremely bold and I'm going to challenge the validity of your salvation Now, most people say this. Don't ever question your salvation. But that is the exact opposite of what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? Examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. You know what the Bible says? Make your calling and election sure. So you're here this morning. And I'm going to challenge you to examine yourself and make your calling and election sure. And the truth is, some of you already know that there's something radically wrong with your relationship with God. You have no passion for God. You have no desire for the Word. You don't have any desire to pray. You have no burden for the lost. You never talk about God. You're not on fire. You could care less. You're you're, you're lukewarm and you're loving it. And I'm challenging you on the validity of of your salvation if you have no desire to serve God you have no desire to read his word no desire to pray you know what you might be, sl- you might be saved I-, I-, I don't know but that's probably a pretty good indicator that you are right on the verge of backsliding so just close your eyes for a moment and search your heart if you have no gratitude toward God There's no thanksgiving. You have no desire to worship. It's a chore for you to come to church. Maybe you come to God for the wrong reasons. I I, I don't know, but I'm I'm challenging that. And so today some of you need to readjust the motive of your commitment. Call it a recommitment. Call it a new commitment. Call it a first-time commitment. But whatever you call it, make your calling and election sure. Whatever you call it, make sure that you are right with God. Whatever you call it, make sure your heart's motives are right. So let me just ask you. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to stay right where you're at. And if you'd like to be included in this prayer... I'm just going to pray for those of you that are challenging the validity of your salvation and you don't know whether you've come to Jesus for the right reason or not. Or if you know that you're not right with God. God spoke to you, He said this to you and you know that you need to get right with God. I'm going to ask you just to shoot your hand up and you put it right back down on three. One, two, three. Okay. Now, those of you that wanted to put your hand up but didn't, that's called pride. And the Bible says a prideful heart is an abomination to God. And this doesn't save you. I'm just praying a prayer to help lead you to a place to where you know you need to go. So if you lifted your hand, let's pray together, everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the Holy Spirit that has come to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Thank you for the law of God that points out what we've done wrong, why we've done wrong, the consequences of our sin and the punishment that we deserve. But more importantly than all of that, thank you that it was your law that was a schoolmaster that is leading us to Christ. But the law cannot save us and we cannot save ourselves But it only reveals how much we need a Savior. And so, Lord, right now, I pray for those that lifted their hands, that they would make their calling and election sure. That, Lord, as they come to you with the right motive, with the full knowledge of what they've done and who they've done it against, and with genuine brokenness and repentance in their heart, I ask, God, that you would transform them. Lord, repentance is not when we cry. Repentance is when we change. So, God, we ask you to change us. Change our hearts. They're filthy. They're corrupt. They're not what they're supposed to be. I don't want to live in deception anymore. I don't want to be disillusioned. Father, I ask you right now, in the name of Jesus, change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. They're going to sing one last song. If you need personal prayer, for something that... You need prayer over, healing, going through something. If you just need somebody to pray and agree with you, we'll be right here to pray. Amen.